Um, I prepared this before the High Holy Days. I was ready to go with this thing. And uh, we had uh, all of the High Holy Days. And then we had um, uh, tabernacles. And so I've been sitting on this message for three weeks. You've forgotten everything I said about Romans. And I've been saturated with this chapter. So let me just try to do a quick review. Paul is writing to the Roman uh, believers He's not ministered to them. He wants to minister to them. He sees himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so as he talks about it, he wants them to understand the gospel, the good news. And he wants them to understand that it's the power of salvation. And he knows that there are Jewish believers in Rome and Gentile believers in Rome. And so he spends about three chapters explaining that whether you... Uh, are Jewish and you have the law and may not be doing it, or you're Gentile and you don't have the law but you may be doing it, regardless of all of that, we're all sinners and that we all fall short of the glory of God. And so um, he begins to talk about a different righteousness, not a righteousness of obedience, which none of us can meet, but a righteousness that is of faith. And he refers to that as, as Abraham, uh, as the example of that, though he quotes David as well. It is this notion of God, by grace, forgiving our sins, rather than holding us strictly to an obedience basis. So there is a righteousness of faith that is independent of the Torah, independent of the the law, and it's found in the Torah and in the prophets. And he quotes from both the Torah and the uh, Psalms in that context. Um, this justification, he says, is God's grace. It's a gift of God's grace. And we enter that grace by faith with the ultimate goal, since sin falls short of the glory of God, us reaching a level of glorification with God, whatever, whatever that means. And Paul says that there's a process of this faith. And he says we should rejoice in it, even though the process is a testing of our faith that brings about endurance. That endurance then establishes character, and the character becomes proof that God is in us, changing us, bringing us in conformity with the image of his Son, and that makes the hope more certain because of the genuineness that's there. The second thing that Paul talks about is that uh, we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God so that we won't continue to be slaves of sin. Sin and death are working together against us but grace and life is working together for us. And so Paul, in several of the chapters that we looked at, is talking about that. And he's going to bring that into a specific clarity in chapter 7 and 8. And I've struggled with whether I try to get through eight, 7 and 8 together. I'm not going to do that. But I may dabble into 8 a little bit because I want you to catch what Paul's doing. Because a great deal of what Paul does is a play on words regarding t- 
Torah or law. He does it in the Greek, nomos. But the idea is that he's playing around with this. And as a result, many people have thought that Paul is teaching replacement theology. That Jesus died to get rid of the commandments. So now we don't have to worry about that. And you can see that if you misunderstand what he's saying. But that's not what he's saying. So he's going to help us understand that. He's going to talk about what he will call a Torah of sin and death, a law of sin and death. That's what Jesus died to save us from, not from the commandments, okay? So we need to, we need to look at that. So we start with uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says, Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law. He's talking about those who know Torah. That the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. So what Paul begins with is the idea of the relationship between the Torah and sin. And he's going to explain how we're caught in a bind here. So he picks it up in verse 2. He says, For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while she is living. But if her husband is dead, he has to really be dead, ladies. (laughs) All right. So uh, she is released from the law concerning her husband, right? Um, So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. It's important to understand the Bible talks about fornication as any sexual act that's external to marriage. And adultery as the taking of someone else's wife or the violation of the marriage with a remarriage. We, We think of it differently because we have been trained that Fornication is premarital sex and adultery is extramarital sex. That's American legal system and not the Torah. So she's then free from the law if if her husband dies so that she's not an adulteress if she is joined to another man. So now he's going to use this as an example in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, Paul's making a major theological statement. He's already said we were buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. He's tying us into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died in a body like ours. He rose in a body of resurrection that we will one day achieve, but we don't have that yet. And so Paul is going to tie in to that notion. A woman's bound by the law as long as her husband is alive. So remember, he says that we've died with Christ and we've been raised with him. So this is a common theme for Paul. In Galatians, he mentions this. And those of you who don a cross during the Lenten season often Quote Galatians, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There's an exchange going on here, a newness of life that Paul is talking about. So, when we talk about this thing, uh, the death and resurrection of Christ is the focus of our reckoning ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And that's his theme throughout Romans. See yourself as dead to sin. Death means separation. The body without the spirit 
is dead, right? So we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's, that's what he's asking us to be. So how does this work? How exactly does it work? Well, this is where Paul picks it up in verse 5. He says, while we were in the flesh. This is not saying while we were in the body. You need to understand that Paul's theology makes a distinction between the body and the flesh. We're, all, we're in the body if we're alive. But we're in the flesh if our sin nature is the focus of our direction. And he says, when you were in the flesh... The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. I've talked about this before. This is what happens whenever you say, I'm going on a diet, right? Your body says, oh, no, we're not, right? And then everybody starts inviting you to your favorite restaurant and everything you like goes on sale, a two for one, or Arby's will give you five of those things for the price of two, right, whatever it is, and all of a sudden you're minded on that appetite and it takes you. That's what he's talking about. He says once the law came, the law makes you go, oh, I don't want to do that, okay? Nothing wrong with the law, the problem is in us. He says, but now that we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. He's starting to make this play on words. There's a law that we've been released from. That law that we've been released from is problematic with the flesh. And we need to be not about the letter of the law, but the spirit of law, the intent of the law, which is good and righteous and holy, as he will say. So he says, so what shall I say? Verse 7. Is the Torah the problem? Is the problem that we need to be removed from the Torah so that the commandments of God don't apply to us and therefore there is no sin. It sounds like he's saying that, but he's very careful to make clear that that's not what he's saying. So we pick it up in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the Torah sin? Is the, are the commandments sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Okay? You don't know what sin is. How do you know if you miss the mark if you don't know what the mark is, right? If there's no stop sign, you don't know that you're supposed to stop, right? All the, all the sign is telling you is this is what you should do, right? But Paul says in verse 8 what happens is this. But sin, and he's using coveting as his example, sin taking opportunity through the commandment Produced in me coveting of every kind. Apart from the law, sin is dead. Right? There's no knowledge. There's no awareness of sin. There's no stop sign. There's no... There's nothing to tell me I have to stop. But if there's a stop sign, all of a sudden... Stop sign's probably not the best one. The yellow light that says slow down because I'm going to turn red. And we go, let's get as fast as we can go, right? Paul says, as soon as it says don't, 
Something in me goes, oh, I'm going to find my way around that. Okay? That's what he's talking about. So he says, it brought about in me every kind of coveting. I was once alive apart from the commandment, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. I was doing just fine when I didn't know what the commandment was. The commandment came, sin rises up, and now I'm dead. I'm condemned. In, and this commandment, he says, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. Why is the yellow light flashing? Because it's going to be red, and it wants you to stop, because other people are going to be driving, and you're going to die. The commandment was not intended to kill us and condemn us. The commandment was to give us life. He says, this commandment that was supposed to give me life ends up not giving me life. It gives me death because of sin. For sin, verse 11, taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. I want you to understand something. And I'm becoming, as I reflect back on my life, uh, as I'm getting towards, you know, the, the closing chapters, I can see how deceptive sin was and is in my life because it blinds you. It makes you somehow justify what you're doing. It's okay because, or this this is extenuating circumstances. I, I have a... Ex- an exemption from that commandment, right? So he says, sin taking an com- uh, opportunity through the commandment deceived me and killed me. I'm now dead to God. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is good and holy and righteous. Therefore, did that which was good become a cause of death for me? No. The commandment wasn't the problem. May it never be. Rather, it is sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that the commandment, through the commandment, sin would become exceedingly sinful, utterly sinful. Otherwise, you might think you, I'm in pretty good standing with God. You know, I look at other people and I'm doing pretty good. You look in that law, you look at the commandments, and if you're honest with yourself, looking at that mirror, you go, I'm in a flawed condition. And you even know, and I don't like those stinking laws. I want to do something. Those don't make any sense. I'm going to do this. I mean, that nature is in us. Protestants call that the sin nature. Jews call that the Yetzer Hara. You've got to urge Towards evil. Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather it was sin in order that it may be shown to be sin. By affecting my death through that which is good. So that the, through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. It was to make us realize our need for God's grace. And a righteousness that is based on faith rather than works. 
So, in, chap- in verse 14, having identified now this problem, he's going to talk about our struggle. For we know that the Torah is spiritual. That Torah that we brought up, laid on that table, those commandments of God, that's spiritual. But I am flesh, sold into bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. And we always do that. We sin and then we see it and we go, God, I can't believe I did that. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I'm agreeing with the law, confessing that the law is good. I'm agreeing that that is righteous. I just can't seem to get there. So now, watch this. This is, this is where Paul begins to zero in. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I have this thing in me. You're not mentally ill. You're a sinner, right? There, there's, there's something wrong with me. The world says, who did it to me, right? And sometimes they did it to you, but you're also doing it to yourself, right? Part of this battle is we have met the enemy and it is us, right? It's sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Again, not the body, that fleshly nature. The willing is present. Why? Because God is in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I have, I have been born again. My spirit wants to follow that. I see that as right. But the doing of the good isn't there. My ability to accomplish it is not there. The good that I want, I don't do And I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. But if I am doing the thing that I don't want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a, and Paul uses the word law, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I'm desiring to be good and to follow God because I believe him. You have to believe that God is and he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But there's something wrong with me. And Paul says, it's not me. It's sin in me. I find then a law that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Because I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. The spiritual me, the spirit of me, wants to obey God. But I see a different law. Notice that you should underline this if you're an underliner. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. I want you to catch what Paul, he's playing this law game, he's using the play on words. There's a law in our mind. What is the new covenant? I will write my commandments on their heart and on their minds. When we become believers and we're born again, our spirit is changed. And God gives us a desire to follow him. But then we find out we can't do it. I was told when I became a believer, everything would get good. I actually got worse. 
Because I didn't know about this. And I was told that Jesus died to get rid of those commandments. So he says, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. He's going to also call it the law of sin and death in the next chapter, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? You following me? Paul's going, how do I get out of this? Then he breaks into the praise. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the who who will who delivers us from that body. So then he says, well, let me tell you what's in his mind because he doesn't tell it until the next chapter. Paul's saying, I'm not staying in this body. I'm not staying with this fleshly nature. The day is going to come when I'm going to put off this body and I'm going to go to be with the Lord and when he puts me in a new body, the resurrected body, it's not going to have the law of sin and death in it. And I will be able, not only from the heart, but from the body, completely obey the Lord. I always tell people, if you don't like the commandments of God, you're going to hate the kingdom, right? You're just not going to like it. The reality is, Paul says, who's going to deliver me from this wretched body? The Lord. So now he knows what, he's got, what his struggle is. So then, on one hand, with my mind, that's born again. I'm serving the law of God. But on the other. With my flesh. I'm serving the law of sin. Now he's not saying I'm doing both of those. Youth for Christ we used to sing. The song I was sinking deep in sin. And some of us had a response. I was sinking deep in sin. We love lifted me. Right. As if we could just let sin that make grace may abound. Paul says No. He says, you've got you to gotta struggle. You, you have a wrestling match. And you're fighting yourself. And you're going to have to fight yourself. We live in a culture that says, you've got to be whatever you feel authentically is you. Well, I know what's authentically me. And that, those commandments and the authentic me don't match. Right? So I don't want to encourage people to that. I want to encourage people to struggle towards obedience. And sometimes you can run, and sometimes you can walk, and sometimes you're limping along, and sometimes all you can do is lean. But you have to be facing the direction of the righteousness of God by faith. Now the reason I said I didn't know where to go with this is, normally I would just stop right here. But I need to tell you that Paul's not saying sin with... Martin Luther said this, you know. Sin bold and believe boldly. That No, no. The, the, the answer is not that. The answer is to understand what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was all about. And that's in chapter 8. So we're going to read the first uh, three verses. Well, actually, the first four verses. I'm going to get to them next week. But I'm going to read them so you get the idea. Therefore now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life. 
in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Notice, not the Torah, not the commandments, the law of sin and death. It set you free from that sinful nature. For what the law, the Torah, could not do, weak through the flesh, right? The minute the Torah gave me the commandment, all that sin comes out, right? God did in sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He had a body like ours, as an offering for sin, and He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk, He means live, according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And what we're going to see is, Paul says, there's two directions to go. You can take your mind and the direction that God says to go and fight the old man and crucify him and reckon yourself dead to him and go in that direction. Or you can set your mind on the flesh and you're going to end up leading to corruption and death. That's the pathway. That pathway is not about salvation and not salvation. I I imagine that a person who really believes can indulge the flesh. I imagine that because I remember that. But there's a misery there that ultimately, if you really do belong to God, He will pull you back and draw you back to walk in His ways. But those who are walking towards the Lord are fulfilling the commandments because we're loving God and we're loving our neighbor and we're loving one another. So that's part of next week. But I want you to catch this. And then Paul puts the suffering of that struggle into perspective when we look at it. So, Paul speaks of three laws. The Torah which contains the commandments that are holy and righteous and good, the law of sin of death, which is aggravated and wars against the Torah and through the Torah kills us, and the law of the Spirit connected with our mind or our heart, which is born again by the Spirit to draw us into obedience. How does this work? How do we understand it? That's what chapter 8 is about, and we'll talk about that next week. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.